attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hello and welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm not your host. But Magnus asked me to bring this episode in, so that's what I'm doing. Magnus follows a very simple format for his podcast. He has six episodes where he talks about whatever he wants. There's also an episode dedicated to Smallville. But every seventh show is part of what has come to be called... The Big Book Book Report. Report. And these shows are all about the DC Paradox press line of big books. But Magnus isn't alone when he talks about the big books. Oh no. He's always joined by me so that we can talk about this stuff together. Hello, Magnus. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. I'm well, Chris. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I like doing the intro. Yeah, I thought you might. It's a nice little... I gave you a little editing in there to, to do, but I, I, I inserted handy <laughs> and <laughs> in where I screwed up to, to help with the editing process. Now, how do you know I'm editing that stuff out? That's very... <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about an odd one, the Big Book of Thugs, which seems almost like one of the more obscure categories they had there. And it was not all that I expected it to be. I was a little disappointed because I think it kind of lived in the 19th century, (laughs) you know? Just a bit, yeah. I was hoping for some of the modern, you know, modern street gangs, like, you know, New York City street gangs, maybe East Coast versus West Coast, Bloods versus Crips. I don't know if maybe that is, was, because when were the, these were in the 90s, right? When these came out. Yeah. So the Bloods and the Crips might not have been a big enough thing to have, for them to know enough about them or maybe they were considering them more like the mafia or something but everything was pretty much from the you know early turn of the century into the 20th century back right and i, and I thought you know, the 20th century would have had enough mafia hitmen to had to have had at least a couple of i think really interesting stories come out of that it's just I'm it's sure very strange to me that it never happened there's got to be, and I mean, there, there, there's got to be modern, I mean, I don't know if it's because in modern times, I don't know if we have, like, roving bands of strong-arm gangs anymore, if everything falls under the blankets of the Mafia or, you know, the Bloods and the Crips or, or stuff like, or street, you know, more larger organized units, but, uh, or maybe it was because back in, in, you know, in, in that time period, it was just more lawless. You know, there was less ways to control people to the point, And we hadn't figured out, you know, certain things to make laws about at that time. I mean, that that's what I was sort of looking at this book as is is like this is a 
we're seeing a lot of the framework for a lot of the laws we have now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> when we are. They didn't exist, <laughs> and this is what happens when those laws did not exist. We saw a lot of the testing and stretching of the envelope of of laws of property and uh, fair play <laughs> and stuff like that. I agree, and like the thing about it is, the um, a lot of this it. It actually touches, and you know, we can get more into this later. But it actually touches upon a lot of history that I kind of have a little bit of a blind spot to. Mm -hmm. And at least for right now, I mean, I want to save something for whenever we actually start talking about the stories. But you know, that was kind of, I guess, my reference point for a lot of how I related, or for that matter, didn't relate to some of these stories. So, but this volume was written by. Uh, Joel Rose, a critically acclaimed novelist whose works include the highly praised uh, fiction Kill the Poor. How's that for a ballsy title? <laughs> now, I wonder uh, – uh, he might have uh, uh, scarfed that from the Dead Kennedys song. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that. I, th I, I thought that um, there was – I, I'm not really sure how old this guy is, but if he was publishing books and comics and stuff in the '90s, it's a good bet that he would have had a, he would have had at least some kind of awareness of the Dead Kennedys. I don't know. I was no, he probably would have been on the West Coast and probably would have been hanging around with Jello Biafra and stuff, especially with the with the artists who are represented in here. It's you know it's a very West Coast underground artist sort of vibe to it, so. Yeah, he was probably he probably grew up grew up listening to Dead Kennedys. Yeah, and that was actually going to be uh, my next point. I mean, like some of these artists, I pretty well recognize. I mean, like Win Mortimer of all people, he was a uh, kind of a golden age, late golden age type of uh, a Superman artist. And then I think, you know, probably everybody knows Dick Giordano. But others of these, I truly don't know. I, I don't recognize their name. I mean, their work, who's to say, but their names really didn't ring a whole lot of bells for me. I mean, did any of these stand out for you to you from the underground well, world? Not, not uh, only the ones that have been like the um, showing up, you know, the Rick Geary's and stuff like that, who are basically almost in every ep issue of this. Mm -hmm. There's there's definitely a lot of the usual suspects in this. I'm going back over into the list of the. But um, and you know, and and then some more, you, you, uh, Sutton's in here again. Yes. But um. Uh, Leahola, Lealoha's in here again, but um. A lot of these people I have, not heard of is, uh, is as, as a matter of fact the most the people I've heard of the most, are the above ground, people. Yeah, like Marshall Rogers, he's in here too. Right. Uh, Joe right. Staten. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's a lot of people whose names I've never never heard before, in here, and um, the art style I have to say in this one is a little more. It's got moments where there's more cartoony ones and stuff, but it has a lot of the same, that same sort of black and white history. You know, I think a lot of the people when they were presented with the um, with the story that they had opted especially in the time period they opted for a very for an older style of art or an older looking style of art there's a lot of like 
almost woodcut looking um, styles in here, you know? Yeah. Not not really like woodcuts. There's actually somebody who actually uses old art in one of the stories. And, you know, a few of his panels, you can tell, are actually... He might have added a little bit to it, like added a face to somebody to make him more of a char- one of the characters he was talking about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it, it has a very... It has a very turn of the century look, look to it. You know, it's all top hats and and fancy um, curly mustaches, and coattails and shit like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, lots of coattails. My my gripe with that is that yeah, I mean that is convenient visual shorthand to tell you what era and history you're dealing in, but the downside to that is. It, it's 192 pages long. Well, that <laughs> so it becomes and it's it, very repetitive sometimes. The stories are kind of repetitive too. You know, it's it's a very similar arc that these guys follow. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, we can get a little bit more into that, but yeah, it's just it. There's not a whole lot of diversity in terms of the visual style, and there's not a whole lot of diversity in terms of the subject matter. I mean, maybe placing all of this in the 19th century, or not all of it, but a good bit of this in the 19th century maybe wasn't all that good an idea. I don't know. It's, I don't know if there was it. I don't know if it was uh, the author's choice or whether that was his limited, he was more knowledgeable in that time period or whether it was just like there's, that was where all the stories were. There's gotta be, there's gotta be thug stories from the, from the fifties up though, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything really post world war one. I think world war one is the most modern era that they reach in, in this. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's strange. And I wouldn't, I I mean, on the one hand, I don't want to be too big a pain in the nuts about it, but on the other hand, I mean, there's an argument that all of these things, they can, they kind of form together they start overlapping as it goes. You start seeing characters turning up from other stories or, you know, where they cross over, especially whenever the mob is involved. Right. And on that basis, uh, you know, I'd almost want to compare it to the big book of conspiracies where it felt like the John F. Kennedy assassination, uh, assassination was sort of the nexus for everything else yes. that was in that book, pretty much. And yes. in a weird kind of way, it's it, that same type of thing is happening here, where obviously it, the the nexus point is going to be that specific period in time, and then how everything sort of ties back to, uh, I, I guess the sort of the mid to I, I don't know what like what would you say like the mo- predominantly like the mid to late nineteenth uh, century. Yeah, yeah, like the. A lot of it's in the 1860s and the 1890s, but then again, the 1860s and the 1890s were that time period where America was just growing like a like a weed. It was just going nuts, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I live, where I live in Rochester, that was 1860 to 1890. All sorts of when whenever you read local history, it's it's just always in that time period because that's when when stuff was really happening when when industry was starting to 
when real cities were starting to be made, you know, on rivers and stuff and where you're know, putting down big permanent buildings and industries were coming, were starting that never existed before. And, you know, factories had technology that was never heard of before. And if you go look at the tombstones around here, they're all, they're all around in that time period and all the old cemeteries. So I think that was when, that was the time when all these people were, were allowed, maybe it was because thugs could actually exist successfully as sort of a force in society at that time period, that that's why these stories, it makes their stories more interesting because their stories aren't, they robbed people for a few years and then all went to jail. Or died. Or died <laughs> or were killed. It was, it's more like, you know, they, they were part of the building of the, of the infrastructure of, of the cities they were in, you know, so they were actually, sometimes they were actually fulfilling some societal needs while at the same time terrorizing everybody. It was just this lawless state of where if something was strong enough to exist, there was sort of nothing to stop it for, for a while, you know until we figured out ways to to regroup and and i mean there's one story in here one gang who just put a sign up that said cops aren't allowed in this area right here <laughs> you know new york city just don't don't come in and then they enforced it you know to to the point of where cops had to go in in big groups just to exist there you know i forget who but somebody it's probably some history channel person but Somebody, uh, they gave a quote, and it was to the effect of, during this, uh, really, I, you could say the entire founding of America, but definitely during this uh, sort of expansionist period of American history, you had the two extremes of society existing, not just simultaneously, sometimes side by side, where you had yeah. sort of the rich, refined, upper crust, you know, and you could think of it as sort of as being very European in their in their sensibilities and um, dare I say quality of life over and against literally in some cases the total opposite of the spectrum of total just complete fucking savages and murderers rapists and who the hell knows what else and in a weird kind of way they both made their own unique stamp on American history and in terms of building the country and everything. And it's just, it's weird to think about that. The fact that I guess if you don't, I mean, I guess if you don't think about, you know, the complications of what it takes to really build a country, you might be forgiven for thinking, you know, America just kind of grew out of the ground and that ain't how, that's not what happened at all. And uh, anyway, I could ramble about that. I'm sure I will. But uh, so I guess, First, um, you know, I went first last time, I think. So, uh, what's uh, first up in your uh, for your story? My first story comes from page twenty. It's the Midnight Terrors, and I just, you know, I was basically looking for the ones that had the the best variations on, you know, these people were. Get, I mean, this basically was a street gang mm -hmm. that used to, you know, just basically mug people in Manhattan. Of course, eighteen nineties. And uh, 
This was when baseball was first starting. So baseball was so popular that they just decided to start their own team. And they like stole the uniforms, <laughs> stole, stole money to get their uniforms and to set up this team. And then when they became a team, they became like Mad Max meets the Bad News Bears. They were putting <laughs> spikes on the bottom of their like not spikes like cleats, but like spikes, pointy, pointy sharp spikes yeah. <laughs> on the end of their shoes. So nobody so they nobody would mess with them when they're sliding into base and. And would, you know, end up in fist fight. It, it must have been. They were mugging fans in the stands and everything. In their spare time, they'd go up and find people to mug in the stands. How just amazing is that? That's just the most crazy story ever, you know. And that, <laughs> that was the reality then. That's just it, just amazing to me. And uh, I... I just that's the aspect of this book that I love how how stuff like that just evolved. You you never would have it sounds like the plot of a of a stupid crazy movie. Yet I'm surprised it hasn't been made somebody hasn't turned that into a movie. It would be better than Slapshot, you know, baseball with <laughs> sharpened cleats. Come on. And no and no laws and rule, you know, just that basic Oh, and how long yeah. it took the police to finally respond? And and I, and when you think about it, I mean, if, for the moment, you know, to hell with, I guess the abject lack of laws and whatnot in society, the just the fact that there wasn't a league of any kind, uh, a professional baseball league to manage these idiots. I mean, this is the kind of thing. I, no, this is the reason there is a professional <laughs> baseball league. Is, is is, I'm sure eventually all this stuff had to be pulled into, into you know, it, you, you couldn't be like, oh, we're going into this town's. I mean, if I was in, if if it was, I had my brothers, it would be like that. That oh, you go into this town, ah, no, these are the guys that have the razors on their elbows, you know, or whatever, and and. And it would be, you know, Death Race 2000 meets Rollerball meets Mad Max. That would be my baseball. So, but you'll ne you'll never be able to do it realistically unless you have all those rules and, and laws and stuff. And we're just seeing, you know, this this time period where everybody got to test out, <laughs> test the waters. And, you know, and what's funny is you think about like the way people – like, oh, look at these baseball players now spitting their chaw on the ground. And, you know, they're on they're They got three, you know, five o'clock shadow on their face and stuff. Remember the old days when baseball players were gentlemen and their gentlemanly outfits and the game was the game. And it's like, no, it never was like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was worse in the beginning because there were there were no rules. So people were just, you know, I. I'm sure I, I wouldn't doubt it that there's stories of people with guns tucked into their, you know, into their waistbands and like pulling a gun on somebody who's running into third and being like, you sure you want to come to third base? You know, I could totally see it. Well, or hide, hiding a nightstick in there and conking someone out on their way, way into home. Well, in a weird kind of way, you know, one of the things that I thought of when I was reading that story was – 
This is a long time ago, like 2005 or 2004, 2005, something like that. The um, the Pacers versus Pistons brawl, where basically Ron Artest, um, somebody like pushed him uh, down to the ground uh, during one of the games. And so that was the trigger point that touched off what all, what became almost uh, – well, actually, I'd say almost. It really did become a brawl in as much as you had basketball players that were going into the stands beating up fans and stuff. Now, <laughs> now keep in mind, I mean, I think the fans were complete assholes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing happened to them that they didn't provoke. So I got no sympathy for them. I mean, the thing to remember is that these, these guys, you don't have to respect or admire them, but you do need to acknowledge – they're athletes, not gladiators. And whenever you piss them off like that, you know, you play – I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, you piss off the bull, you're going to get the horns. And that's right. exactly what happened. And so I have never seen this before or since. But at one point, Ron Artest ran into the stands and just started beating the piss out of some guy who had poured a – he either poured a beer on him or he threw the beer cup. Now, I, I think he threw the cup. And, you know, I've been in clubs when – you know, bouncers, they got somebody through a, a, like a cup of beer, like a Dixie cup of beer. And I've seen that knock people's teeth out. I've seen it break people's noses. I mean, you, you want to, you instantly want to think, well, it's a Dixie cup. How bad could that really hurt? Motherfucker. I've seen that break bones whenever you throw it across the room like that. Water. People don't think about water as having weight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's you got know, mass to it, asshole. It's got mass to it, and it's dense. It's dense. And, yeah, you throw a cup full of water, and that's a heavy thing. And when it hits, it flattens out and just mash. Yeah, it's it's that's like people thinking, oh, well, you could jump out of a plane into the ocean. Well, no, you hit the ocean and, That's you know, harder than cement. Once yeah, exactly. You, you, you're still hitting a mass. So... It may be a mass that you can push yourself into and 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 all that, but it's still heavy. Yeah. Oh man. And so compare that, which was you know as 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 bad as that was. That's I think that's probably the worst that I've that I've ever seen. You know, that is a long way off from the team running up into the stands and mugging people. You know. <laughs> they- that that was more like yeah that was more predatory. I mean they were looking and you know the the, the way they portray it in here it's more like look at those guys they got some money right and then coming over and being like like pulling a switchblade on them you know yeah and all this says to me is the cops must have had far worse to deal with <laughs> at this time to where you could get away with stuff like this. Well, I mean, it, I guess when you think about it, I mean like. When you start getting into like the late 19th century, I mean, I do think that was the rise of like the official mafia, like organized crime for real now in the United States. Whereas before, you might have had some street gangs and some supposed, you know, tough guys and then kind of vestiges of the old west, you know, these wannabe gunfighters and stuff like that. But I think for the most part. Yeah, but yeah, but not an infrastructure where crime started getting a, a, a business like infrastructure. Yeah, that's and true. Was a, and was able to, like, organized crime is like, you know, when it hit that evolution where you couldn't just sweep in and have everybody, you know, it, it, if you had a street gang, once you had everybody in that street gang or even like three quarters of them in jail enough to intimidate the other quarter of them, that was the end of the street gang. 
the mafia, you could sweep all the mafia people into jail and there'd be another, you know, they have they have redundancies and and plans for, you know, because if, the, if they don't end up in jail, you know, they could end up dead by a rival or somebody inside the gang. So they, they've come up with contingency plans with that, just like a company. You know, the CEO dies and there's somebody to replace him. So there's just no way to to just like get rid of it in one fell swoop, you know, to deal with it in one fell swoop. Yeah, and, and that's there's a really good argument that that's the main reason it took law uh, law enforcement as many decades as it did to really figure out how best to you know quash organized crime, and that actually kind of leads into something. I mean, since you know this is a show that's really all about tangents to begin with, anyway. Are we better off without organized crime or, you know, because now we live in an age of street gangs and, you know, the Bloods and the Crips and they're, you know, duking it out in the streets oh, of I, drug turf. I mean, the street gangs are, are organized crimes now. The street gangs are, I mean, there's levels of the street gangs where people are just out do, selling drugs and stuff. But the, you know, the Bloods and the Crips are right up there with the mafia as far as like distribution networks and you know, being the, the, it's, you know, it's not stupid thuggery anymore where it's just like, hey, and there's, there's a story in here about like, you know, the dumb one, one of the gangs, it was just notoriously dumb and how they just sort of died out really quickly. You know, now there's, I mean, the, the Bloods and the Crips, I'm sure are laundering money. They have hitmen, you know, just like the regular mafia. And the regular mafia still exists and is is doing their thing. They're just, I mean, we have um, the, the the mafia are actively involved in the um, in the um, gambling industry on the the Indian reservations around here. Oh, really? Hmm. So yeah, so it's it's still. It's still a thing. I mean, the mafia is so built in as a as a business, and you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm sure it's still true to this day that the that there's certain cops who'd love to get rid of the mafia, but you don't know how what percentage of your fellow cops are working for them. You know, they've gotten to that point, and I'm sure it's the same with you know. the 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 biker gangs and the 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 Bloods and the Crips and stuff. They have cops on the inside and you know that's how that's how they still exist it's not as ruthless nowadays i don't think unless you're involved in it you know but it still exists it's still i mean the mafia still exists i don't know if it's as big as it used to be but i imagine it's still yeah as long as drugs are illegal <laughs> as long as there's still illegal stuff there's there'll be multi-billion dollar black market potential. Well, true, but I mean, I, I guess what I was asking was more from the angle of, at least on paper, there were certain things that the, that the mafia would not do and they would right. not permit, you know? Like you wouldn't... You, if, you had to, if you had to whack somebody, you whack them. But you don't necessarily do it in an indiscriminate open fire kind you don't of way. do it you don't do it somewhere where there's women and children around and stuff like that and but a lot of that i think is apocryphal like 
I'm sure there were rules like that, and I'm sure there were mafiosos that that held those rules. But when the rubber comes to the road, I don't think I think it's more of a, a romantic image of, you know, these are the, these are criminals with honor, and then they do it this way. And and I think every criminal enterprise has that level of honor of where they say, hey, you know, we're we're criminals and we do this. We justify it because it's we're doing, you know, there's a demand, so we're filling a demand, and we don't. Hey, at least we don't do this, and this and this. But I think they actually end up do <laughs> doing that. It, but you still project the image that you don't do that. But I'm sure, you know, the mafia has killed people in front of their their little kids and stuff like that. You know, it, if it came down to it. But back in those days, it was definitely more visceral, you know, the, it was less like everything, you know, so you had more of a chance of running a, uh, you know, getting beat up, like whether you're getting mugged or whether you borrowed money and you're a a day late on the payment, you have more of a chance of, of, you know, running into a group of guys in the back of a in a back alley who would rough you up than you do today. I don't think things are handled as much like that today. Well, and it's kind of funny. The um, a uh, guy that I used to know who lived in uh, Louisiana, he said that, you know, when he worked at uh, wherever it was that he worked, I don't think I want to get too specific there, but he said that, you know, he would work at a... Uh, an office place and he said that generally speaking uh, sometimes customers would make threats you know I'm gonna sue the hell out of you I'm gonna call my lawyer you know you you won't even know what hit you by the time this is all over and he said that you know stuff like that I mean look we've got a legal department and threats like that we can deal with you know he said there's another kind of threat he said look one of two things is gonna happen you're gonna write a check for us today or else we're going to send Guido over there tomorrow morning and he's going to straighten you out. Yeah, yeah. And he said that you got to understand that's a legitimate threat. You know, I mean, they will send Guido over and he will fuck you up. And if somebody ever says that to you in the state of Louisiana, write the fucking check. (laughs) Right. And and I was like, and keep in mind, I mean, you know, where did I grow up? You know, like small town Texas and stuff. And so that was so far away from the world I lived in, you know, where like, yeah, maybe some beer swilling redneck would have to get slapped down by the cops once in a while because he was getting a little too uppity or something like that. But, you know, the idea of, you know, sending Guido or or, or whoever. Yeah. <laughs> I almost got I almost got beat up that way once. Um, when I worked at a bar, uh, there was one, there was a guy there who was problematic. (laughs) He lived in the building that the bar was, and he was a very, he was an evil drunk. He was an evil, even when he wasn't drunk, he was kind of evil, but he was very funny. And he'd actually befriended me. He and I got along really well. He got kicked out of the bar a lot. Oh, this must've been Pete. And rightly, rightly so, he got kicked out of the bar. I'm not gonna say his name, but uh, <laughs> uh, he he'd gotten kicked out, and I think it was he was he had had an argument with one of the bartenders, 
and uh, he had been telling me all you know for weeks. You know, I know some people beat the shit out of this guy. You know, if if he ever screws with me, I would have him get beat up and stuff. And and he was always talking about stuff like that. And I never doubted that he would possibly do it, but I thought he was just talking shit. So he got kicked out of the bar and, uh, you know, I would run out into him out front of the building. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to get that, that, that bartender, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next night we're closing up and the, the bartenders back, he's, he's closing up the bar, but he always dilly, he would stay there till four or five in the morning drinking and playing guitar hero and just sort of hanging out. So I, I got my shit done. I'm heading out. I'm on my bike. It's, you know, two 30 in the morning, quarter to three. And, uh, I'm, I'm riding down the sidewalk and I see two people hovering at the end of the, at the end of this one building, one person's out in front of the building. The other person's just sort of hovering, you know, hidden, but you could sort of see that there's someone there and they just look, they just look suspicious. So I went from the sidewalk to the road and I rode and I was riding by them at sort of slow speed and as soon as they saw me they go that's him and they start running at me and i and i instantly realized what was going on as i saw the guy you know reaching into his overcoat and the other guy kept running up on me and i and i just looked i looked the guy in the guy i'm just like really (laughs) you guys are gonna beat beat me up and then i started pedaling faster and they couldn't keep up with me and then I started being an asshole and mocking them from like a block away, like, oh, what's the matter, Jennifer? You can't catch me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the one guy was getting really pissed and still running after me. And I would let him run about half a block. And then I would just slowly, slowly <laughs> right up to the next end of the block and be like, oh, come. and I'm like, I'm going to see how long I can keep this dumbass running, you know. <laughs> and he's huffing it. And the other guy's just like forget it, forget it, just forget it, come back, forget it, come back, it's not him, forget it. And the other guy was just like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, just, and I was just like. You're an ass, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was full of adrenaline because I was, I real, real, realized this guy had hired these two to beat up the bartender and they were too stupid. They, they saw me come out of that bar and they were like, okay, here he comes. I was about to get the shit beat out of me because of some guy who's ostensibly is my friend or, you know, claims to like me. He, he almost, and like the next day I was just like, dude, I don't want to say that I ran into your boys last night that were supposed to run into the bartender, but I ran into your boys last night. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have no idea about what you were talking about, but are you okay? So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh no, they didn't lay hands on me, dude. They couldn't catch me on my bike. And to tell you the truth, they're fucking dumbasses. <laughs> and, uh, but, dude, they were gonna fucking be. And he was like, he was like, do you want something to happen to them? And I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Just don't <laughs> be careful with your scumbaggery, man. I don't want to get involved in it. <laughs> That's great. He was an awful person. Clearly, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, trust me, I, I got that memo like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That's great. Well. But it's still, you know, it's still hap- if it happens for something that stupid, 
for the for somebody who gets rightfully kicked out of a bar that somebody can get beat up then it's got to be happening all the time for actual reasons <laughs> yeah. well i knew somebody who was a uh, who was a, a school teacher right and you know one day you know there was this thug dude that was in her that was in her class and you know she'd had conflicts with them you know throughout that entire year right and it's like the year had been the school year had been going on all that long or anything but you know that's that's what had been happening so eventually she just said all right you know what look i've had enough you're going to principal's office and you know he you know he can sort you out and so the uh thug life uh guy said you know bitch i don't think you want to do that because you know i mean i'm a drug dealer i'll fucking kill you and you know blah 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 and she had not a shit to give sent him to the um the principal's office and then he came back later on and he once again said you know yeah i'm gonna find you and then that's it lights out you know and she was telling me all of this and now she she really was starting to get nervous you know and i said look you got trust me you've got nothing to worry about i mean look if this guy truly is a drug dealer He's not actually a drug dealer. He is a drug pusher, which is not the same thing. And if he's a drug pusher, his dealer doesn't want... To kill his teacher. Yeah, he doesn't want it coming out that one of his uh, um, uh, pushers killed some white suburban school teacher. That's trouble he doesn't need. And so... Right. Right. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Kill somebody. You know, basically, that's like everybody who has personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, the mafia is the same way. There's, pe- or there's people who are like, I work for the mob. I'll have you rubbed out. And it's like, why would the mob risk having me killed because you think I'm a prick? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I told her, I said, look, you got nothing to worry about, right? A, he won't do anything at all. Or B, if he does anything. It's going to be tomorrow. He's going to come to your classroom. He's going to apologize for what he said. And he is going to be Mr. Friggin' Nice Guy for the rest of the year. Because something tells me his dealer is going to sit him down and say, If you don't apologize to her, I'm going to take Mr. Shotgun here. I'm going to blow your fucking brains out. Because you're bringing... You just told your teacher you were a drug dealer. Yeah. And you know what? If they arrest you for that... Don't fucking tell me you won't roll over on me, all right? Mm-hmm. You've just made this a clear-cut case of you or me. And you know what, motherfucker? It's going to be you. I promise. And so, you know, when you think about it like that, the fuck difference does it make to some, you know, big-time, big-league drug dealer guy? Some what's, What some school teacher has to say uh, to what? No, if, if anything, he's going to tell the kid, just don't go to... What are you going to fucking school for? Or he's going to say, if you're in school, fucking, you better be getting straight A's. Yeah, and that way nobody will think you know that you know you it's better camouflage. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And sure enough, he came the next day and he was apologizing. He was Mr. Nice Guy for the rest of the year. And I said, all right. So his dealer really did sit him down and, and explain the facts of life. You know, uh, the and and you know in in the majority of cases, not necessarily every time, but in a lot of cases, you know, the real drug dealers all right i'm not talking about some little thug on the street i mean the dealers now you know they live in a very legally shall we say difficult world already 
they don't need right. extra complications. If all they right. need to do is to simplify their situation is kill some no no name low life drug pusher. Have have their whole empire brought down because some guy's teacher made him stay after school. Yeah, I mean, it's an easy decision. They will... The scary thing is that this whole story means that that kid did go to somebody and go like, I want to get this teacher taken care of. He did did actually take that step and that... And that luckily the person was wise enough to go, no, that's stupid, you go apologize. But he did. (laughs) He was... It sounds like he was willing to... uh, to go there if that was an option for him. Yeah, and the way it goes in my mind is that, you know, he thought that everyone there would feel sorry for him and, yeah, they'd huh? send some people over to take care of the oh, teacher yeah. and everything, and they were like, motherfucker, no, we're, we'll take care of you before we take care of that teacher, yeah. believe me. Yeah. Because they can find a, a new pusher, you know, they can find another one of those, but finding an, a, a, a you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card, those are a little harder yeah. to come by, you know? A little so. more expensive, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's the, the stupid stuff like that is the whole reason their whole, like, whole drug empires could get taken down, so, yeah. But. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, I, I, hey, I, I, you know, back in the day of the one-room schoolhouse, you know, you could have a big farm boy come up and knock the teacher out, probably. <laughs> And there'd be zero consequences, you know. Knock the teacher out, sit him up at their desk and say, school's out, everybody. And that was the end of it. Well, yeah, but then that farm kid has got to go home, and then what's he going to say, you know, So uh, to his parents? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it works out in other states, but uh, at least in Texas, at least when I went to school, the worst thing you could possibly do was lay hands on a teacher, because at that point, those the thinking went that they are within their legal rights to use any amount of force against you to protect themselves up to and including lethal force so you need to think long and fucking hard but honestly i don't know how likely that was to really happen because you know i grew up in a very shall we say countrified type of town very redneck type of town and You know, a lot of those people are just old-fashioned enough, chivalrous enough, that if they saw you lay hands on a teacher, forget about the teacher. Now you got to deal with the students. I mean, the teacher's the least of your worries. It it would probably, in my school, it probably would have depended on who it was beating on the teacher. If it was a female teacher, probably the class would have jumped whoever it was. If it was a male teacher... It would probably, there would be all sorts of factors going on in everybody's mind. Like, yeah, I think the question would have been, he he punched a gym teacher in the face after knocking a kid flat. Like, he punched this one kid who was talking to his girlfriend in the in the nose, broke the kid's nose, laid him flat out on the ground in a pool of blood. Then the gym teacher walked up, and then he got it in the face, and that set, you know, stepped him back. This was a big kid. This kid was 20 years old and a junior in high school and you know i mean he got he he didn't come back to high school after that after after laying hands on the teacher but nobody was getting in the middle of that fight well and i uh, think if you know maybe one, if the teacher's name had been eli nutter maybe maybe no one would have lifted a finger to protect him right that's true <laughs> that's true but i have a feeling if you got in a physical confrontation with Eli Nutter, I think, was bound by if he touched another student again, he was done. But I imagine 
if you got into a point where you swung at him or something and he got and he was a he was a rage person i mean he got in trouble for beating his wife and stuff so he probably had it in him to probably <laughs> finish off anybody who if you pushed him to that point of where it was like i don't care if i have my job again you might be looking at being in traction you know <laughs> if you got him to that point i don't know maybe i realize that more now but back then i don't i'm not sure if we did <laughs> well I'll, all i can tell you is um going after a teacher i've i've never seen that turn out very well for the student Anybody who does it i mean sooner or later the system just to perpetuate itself the system will crush you you know it yeah. has to yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the, with schools, if you're going to be that kind of a problem, you're just eventually not going to be in that school anymore. They will, you, you'll just eventually get ejected, you know, suspended and then expelled. You know, that's just uh, that's. I imagine it's got to be worse these days. You know, I imagine it's in, in in the old days you could probably get in a lot of physical confrontations and then end up you know staying after school and like talking with a teacher or a, or a priest or something you know to let you back into school and they cut you more slack you know or when you talk to the you could go talk to the principal and the principal will be like i think you're a good kid or something and these days it's all three strikes and and zero tolerance and stuff so i'm sure there's a technical point to however many punches you throw in high school before you're a non-entity these days. Well, these days, um, I say these days, at least when I was when I was in school, I mean, look, if you get in a little fist fight or something like that in the cafeteria, like in junior high. Yeah, you got sent down to the principals to cool off and then a note home to your parents, maybe. Yeah, and then, well, at least... Well, a couple well, days after school, maybe. Well, when it was when it was me, when I got into fights, it was um, Saturday detention. In high school, they don't play that game anymore. It was, uh, you get in a fight on school grounds in high school, uh, you know, no more detention, no more fucking around. They will just call the police and you they'll arrest off. you. Oh, yeah. Well, so that. it's... I don't remember. I only remember the police coming, other than bomb threats and the fire department and police. Police only came to our school once to arrest somebody, ever, and that was one of the weirdest incidents ever. Anomalous incidents. It was supposedly an assault, but it was a suicide attempt, actually. Wow, that's weird. And the police came to to get the people who attacked the person and eventually ended up taking away the person who had been attacked because it was found out that she had done it herself. Oh, wow. So it was... But that was the only time we ever saw the cops, you know, the cops coming in and walking someone out of school, that sort of thing. We didn't have <clears throat> hall monitors or anything. that We didn't even have student hall monitors. We just had... <clears throat> certain t you know teachers obviously took turns you know when in between classes the teachers would be out in the halls in front of their their classroom sort of just keeping an eye on things but there were never like roaming hall monitors or anything like that or the, it, 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 towards the end of high school we had people who were like sitting at the door 
sort of, you know, the pre-metal detector days where they were like, ah, oh, you can't bring that in there, but they weren't patting you down or anything. It's only if you're blatantly carrying something in. And that person was still just a teacher, you know, just one of your teachers would be at the door that day instead of, you know, a security guard or something like that. Well, I was still in school. I, I was a senior in high school when um, the Columbine shooting happened. Oh, yeah. That really, Jesus. Yeah, that changed the tone of the yeah. uh, of things, you know, pretty significantly. It was the high school 9/11, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and like the thing of it was, this the town in which I went to high school was so similar to to Littleton mm-hmm. uh, already, and you know the thinking was there were not very many, but maybe one or two people there that under the right circumstances with the right, right access oh. with, on the with the right mo- I mean a lot of things would have I to I can't be- imagine how dark it was in high school that that after Columbine because I I know if Columbine happened when I was in high school I could have thought of several people that I would be like oh geez I hate the fact that these people now know that this is a thing you know yeah <laughs> They have this idea in their head now. I would there were would have been several people at our high school that I would have been like, oh geez, I hope they don't get any ideas. <laughs> well, and like the thing, I hate to say it, but you know, um, like the paranoia. Of, oh, I'm sure. Know? And so I, re- I remember there was this one moment I was sitting around in my homeroom, and I was looking around at just this this virtual cast of characters, you know, and we're talking about like. You know, daddy's little princess types that, you know, they wouldn't hurt a fly, you know. And then you get the other extreme. And this whole time, you know, what you're what you're kind of left with is the, the realization that you I don't know any of these assholes. I mean, I can't say that none of them are responsible. And if one of them's going to snap. Who's it going to be? I have no fucking right. idea. You know, I mean, yeah, it may be the guy that's sitting around drawing pentagrams on his binder, but. Maybe not. Maybe it'll maybe be. Not, yeah. Maybe it'll be th- that nice, quiet guy that everyone makes fun of because of the fact that he's nice and quiet. And then one day he decides he's not going to be so nice and quiet anymore. That what about might be him? his disguise. Yeah. And so, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, the human mind has a funny way of blotting certain things out after a while, and you remember things more happily than they were. I still remember like the fucking paranoia, like day to day paranoia. Like I was seeing. This was near the end of the year, obviously, but I remember probably once a week people were getting arrested and there were like all of these draconian measures and things that were being put in place because of this, this, this. And we're doing this in the name of security. And it's like on the one hand, I get it that, you know, they want to protect the school and everything. But on the other hand, it's like it's like you're creating this pressure cooker environment Mm -hmm. that's more likely to bring it about your effort to uh, to head it off at the pass, if anything, you're you may not realize this you're actually setting an environment yeah you're You're setting it you're making that environment you're you're saying you're saying that you're you're making people aware of the danger looming over them at every second rather than dealing with it realistically i mean it was the same at 9-11 you know 9-11 like columbine i can't think of it as much on the same context because i wasn't in high school but 9-11 was one of those things where just all of a sudden everybody realized, holy shit, that that was insanely, you know, dark and out of uh, and visceral and and painful. 
and could happen again, you know, and uh, it it psychologically does something to you, you know, it puts you in a, in a frame of mind that's very dark <laughs> yeah. for a while. It takes a while to get out of that. I think high schools still haven't completely gone out of that because there's still um, shootings and stuff. There's still, there always has been, but um, I just don't think that the draconian measures are stopping any of it. I mean, there were there was there's been armed security at some of the school shootings, and so far none of them have really done much of it. Like one of them got run off at one point by the students. So it's well, I, but yeah. it's, it's it's one of those things. Is how do you you know how can can you actually go, this must never happen again? Is it worth what you have to do statistically to make it never happen again? Is it worth setting that tone? Well, so that- the the thing is, you know, you mentioned um, 9-11 a minute ago. And I, I can't help but think, you know, is that where high schools are now or schools in general? Is that where they are now? It's like the 9-11 effect where I'm not going to say yeah. that no airplane is ever going to get hijacked again. But – any anyone who would want to hijack an airplane, what you have to take into account now is that you know we live in a post 9/11 world. The people on board this airplane now understand that their only real hope of surviving this experience is to take you down by any means necessary. Right. Well, the the way to think about it is to think about it like how would I think about it if I was a terrorist who was gonna and thinking like, okay. I want to take a plane down. It's going to be so much harder now. You know what? I'm going to just think of something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I guess, I guess planes are crossed. I, I would cross off the planes off the list if I was a terrorist because it's just, it's, it's, it's hot now, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not going to just walk onto that plane. You might, you might run into a moment of incompetence somewhere. It's actually, it seems fairly likely, but the odds, it's the odds are better that maybe you just want to go about something different, you know? Right. Well, I've, I I remember when I was in college, I used to joke that you're never going to, and I keep in mind, this is all pre Virginia tech, right? But I remember joking to people saying, you will never see a shooting in college just because of the fact that anybody who wants, look, you don't really have a choice about going to high school. You pretty much have to go. There's really no way around it. And I can see where the right person under the right circumstances, having no way to escape, he might think that, you know what, murder is the way to go. I could, I don't, I mean, I can't relate to that personally, but I can see where somebody would have that mentality. But college, you pretty much have to choose to be there. There really aren't going to be a whole lot of victims going on in uh, most colleges, I would imagine. And so that alone means that, you know, you're theoretically safer in college. Now, like I say, that was all pre-Virginia Theoretic- Tech. Theoretically. But then again, my experience in college was like freshman year of college seemed like a good time for a lot of people to go crazy. There seemed to be a lot of people. And I heard a lot of stories of, you know, crazy, crazy dorm room you know, roommate that they had for the first three months and then they flipped out and had to be, you know, had a, had a freak out and, and had to leave college or, 
you know, and, and stuff like that. And there was, there were a lot of suicides and stuff like that. So I could see somebody with mental illness and mental illness sort of seems to manifest itself in the early twenties, you know, that young adult age. So I could see college as being a place where you would have a probability of, of someone shooting it up, you know, that, but that's, just sort of a reality of life, you know, is that some people are going to go mentally bonkers and, and do something where they're going to do it. They do it all over the place. You know, if they do it in a mall next time, then that makes everybody think about mall security. But it, it just, it just comes to the point of like where I, I don't know. I think America is very zero sum. We want everything all or nothing. And so when something terrible happens, our mentality seems to sort of be like, this must never, never, ever, ever happen again. We never again. And, you There's know, really no I way to guarantee that there's nothing. Right. And while I don't think we should just sloth it off and go like, ah, eh, that's that's just the way it is. And there is a level of that's just the way it is. It's going to happen. And there's you, you have to find that balance of it's so hard to find that balance at the immediate years after something really pointedly horrible happens. But you got to find that balance between the reality of how often it happens and how worth it it is to lock everything down to make sure everybody's safe at, at, at all times. Because, you know, I mean, I realize that walking down the street somebody could just go crazy and decide to drive their car off the road or or take pot shots out of a building or whatever and you never know when you know i've been places where spontaneous craziness has happened and someone's gotten hurt or something just crazy's happened and what you know what are you gonna do you can't live in i i remember i worked with a, a kid who was a dishwasher and he had aspergers and he was walking home one night and he got he got robbed under uh, walking under a bridge and he was just deathly afraid of, you know, being of walking ever again. Daylight, you know, he was there at like one thirty in the morning walking home after playing video games for a few hours. You know, he was he was go, doing going about it in the wrong way. But then again, he when he got off work at noon. He wasn't going to walk. He would make his parents drive him home because he was afraid he was going to get robbed. And I'm like, dude, you just can't live in fear of ever get, you know, it sucked getting robbed. You can't live in fear of it ever happening again, you know, because then you're going to live in fear every moment because it could happen. All sorts of things could happen at any moment. <laughs> and you have to choose <laughs> to, to, to be afraid of that happening you know no, sometimes it's realistic to be afraid sometimes it's realistic and helpful to be afraid and will will help you survive but there's other times when it's just like you have to be like tell yourself statistically that's probably not going to happen right now so i'm probably okay with you know, about a plane coming down on my head or hmm. or whatever otherwise you should never ever get in a car or you should never leave your house ever again well, the um, I just remember the latter portion of the last, basically the last lap or two of my senior year. It's just I remember it being so full of just this really weird fear and paranoia and whatnot. And then 
in a weird kind of way, it was really hard to sit through that movie. Um, shit. Elephant? No, it was, it was Spike Lee movie. Summer of Sam, right? Oh, Summer of Sam, yeah. And because that movie, it's not the same thing exactly, but there is. No, but it's about the chill that something like that puts on life for everybody at that time. Yeah. And that's in a weird kind of way. I could at once relate to the just the the I don't know what else to call it. The paranoia factor totally could relate to that. But it's just it's one of those things. It sometimes it's a little too fresh even for you. And mm -hmm. so what you what you absolutely cannot do is watch these sort of fictional characters grapple with the same exact thing that you are it's it, it's still too close to home for you and well that's why all the 9-11 movies flopped around that time all the movies you know about 9-11 or about the iraq or you know people in iraq or anything like that all the movies that everybody made concerning those topics did really poorly in the box office yeah and i can't help but think you know as a name, I think when most of those uh, came out, I think I think the first of those actually came out like maybe two or three years after, you know. And if you think about it, I don't think America. There's an argument we still haven't completely adjusted to it yet, but no, we, yeah, we, we definitely, definitely hadn't ready. then. We def definitely were not ready to go relive that in a movie for sure. As a as a as a nation. It'll be interesting to see if those movies have a little resurgence, you know, in a few years, maybe after they've had, if people start going and revisiting them. I don't know. It wasn't the same as World War II. <laughs> you know, World War II, people got into the World War II movies. And uh, in Vietnam, it didn't happen. It wasn't, it wasn't until all the Vietnam movies before you know the late 70s were horror movies basically was where you saw anybody dealing with anything to do with vietnam it wasn't until the 70s when you know coming home and and uh the deer hunter started coming out deer hunter could uh, arguably be a horror movie <laughs> but uh yeah i just i i i think i think filmmakers were thinking, ah, people will want to help process this with this movie, and they were dead, dead, dead wrong. <laughs> well, so, how's that for a tangent? <laughs> yeah, right, well, hey, maybe you should do your first. <laughs> Alright, well, I'm gonna cheat. All from the terrors. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat a little bit with mine, and say that, um, I'm gonna talk about the dead rabbits from page 15 but really mm -hmm. all of these uh 19th century mid 19th century era new york street gangs i i'd want to tackle really all of them all at once and the reason for that is because they really do go together i mean it's not a stretch yeah. of the imagination to think that these gangs were fighting and killing each other in real life anyway and, right and so it's it's you know and so to me, I, they already relate to one another as it is. And so the other thing is, if you've seen 
uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, movie Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. A yeah, lot of I these. I about that a lot, and I wondered why he never showed up in here. You what? The um, the butcher. No, he does show up in here. Not in not not in uh, the Dead Rabbit story, but on the one before that. I this is um. Now I'm vamping for time here. I'm flipping back to it. He actually yeah, does show up. They have the dead rabbits in there, but yeah, I did not. I didn't put that connection together. Yeah, he's in uh, the Bowery Boys story that starts on uh, page ten. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know the thing is, I regard the movie uh, Gangs of New York. I regard that as being based on a true story in the same sense that. Oliver Stone's JFK is based right. on a true story. I mean, yes. it references historical uh, events and persons, but it's not exactly literal fact, you know? The, the stuff that's most like, if you wanted to take it for historical value in that movie, is the way that New York looks. He did a nice recreation of what it would look like at the time. But what actually happened, yeah, he's, it, it was highly dramatized. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. yeah. And one of the things, and I don't even know if she's actually named in the movie, but uh, the Dead Rabbit's story in this volume on uh, page 15, it centers mostly on this uh, person called Hellcat Maggie. And somebody, I, I didn't actually watch the movie you know, prior to recording with you right now, but there is somebody who fits this description in the movie and she fights along alongside uh, the dead rabbits uh, in the movie and like what I really remember is seeing her at the very that fight uh, at the very beginning of the movie with uh, uh, the butcher's gang right and um, you know she was definitely she definitely made her presence known there and the thing about it though and you and I were kind of talking about this a little bit just a while ago you know, when you were mentioning the fact that you had just this chaos and bedlam that was going on in the streets, you got to understand, I mean, guys, this wasn't just limited to these street gangs that were beating the shit out of each other. I mean, if you flip over to the Bowery Boys story, and you can see it on page 12, fire departments were doing the same thing they were <laughs> they were fighting each other yeah over basically if you could picture it as being kind of like a crime scene they're having a pissing contest over jurisdiction meanwhile the fucking building is burning down but they're in the street taking access to one another and all trying to figure out you know whose fire is this to fight and it's just this weird fucked up only in america kind of way it's a libertarian utopia <laughs> in a weird kind of way, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, look, there was a time, not to get too ideological or anything, but there was a time in my 20s when, dude, I was stridently libertarian, you know? And that's that's the time period usually people are. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but... It sounded good to me at that age, too. But when you actually look at the... How I'm not saying that... Out. Yeah, I mean, this is one... I'm not saying this is inevitable, but I am saying that, you know, this is one possible <laughs> thing that could go wrong, this and God knows yeah. what else, that we all take for granted, myself included. 
you know, this is one thing that could go wrong. And meanwhile, you know, these these firefighters are standing in the street, beating each other up, taking access to one another, etc. And the buildings are burning down, people are dying, and the job is not getting done. But damn it, at least we don't have any government regulation. You know, I mean, what the fuck? So anyway, so stuff like that. It's just this weird, fucked up, uh, truth is stranger than fiction, only in America kind of story could you see two competing fire departments beating the hell out of each other in the middle of a this huge blazing inferno this building that's going up like a tinderbox and i don't know i mean and yeah there's a strong argument that a lot of this ties in with you know a lot of the known ongoing corruption that was going on in new york at that time especially in the five points with tammany hall and all these other things and you know what whatever but the reason this kind of punched me between the balls when I was reading the story and when I was watching Gangs of New York, the Scorsese film, is because, just in case it hasn't been made clear yet, I was born in and grew up in Texas. And, you know, people outside of Texas, I don't know if you guys know what we're taught in history, but basically we're taught that um, the English colonized you know the original 13 the colonies and everything and then shortly the shortly after america wins the the revolutionary war declare you know and um what's the word not enacts the constitution but well ratifies that ratifies mm-hmm. the constitution the focus shifts not immediately but pretty quickly uh to mexico and then the republic of texas as its own independent nation and then texas as you know an annexed state of the united states and then texas a member state of the confederacy and then the civil war and then reconstruct and that's the trajectory of history that you go through whenever you study history in texas and the reason for that is because there's really not a square inch of land in Texas that anybody knows about that somebody didn't fought, fight and bleed on and die right. on. And so you know, right. there is so fucking much history to this state that you, you kind of have to prioritize on what's most local. And so, you know, stuff like that, you know, goings on in Texas, ultimately that's what they kind of have to teach us at least at certain parts of of uh, our history classes and schools and stuff. And so as a result, you don't necessarily hear about, because honestly, guys, I mean, all due respect to, you know, residents of Nevada, what the fuck ever happened in Nevada? I mean, honestly, whatever happened in that state that you can't learn in a month or two of school? I mean, it's just not that interesting a place, you know? Or maybe not. Maybe Nevada is not the best the best example. I'm actually because now that I think about it, some interesting stuff maybe did happen there. But I mean, like fucking like Wyoming. What the fuck ever happened in Wyoming, right? But you know, a place like uh, a state like there's Texas, things that happened, but they're mostly like the story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Ironically, but they, you know, they're mostly stories of weird goings on. But like historically, it's all like like. Texas, the South, and the East, like the East Coast states, you know, are all the ones that are like soaked in blood and right and, and full of forts and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, if you think about like the original thirteen from their founding until the present day, that's one history class. 
the South kind of as a blanket thing from their founding going to the present day, that's a separate history class. Texas as its own thing going to the present day, yet another history class. And now you start getting into just sort of the West, you know, in, in America, just which I define as anything north of Texas and then going to the West. You know, just the West in America mm-hmm. is yet another history class. And so I don't want this to come off like I'm, you know, bashing on school or anything because I'm not. Like I say, I mean, one must prioritize when you're formulating curricula. And I don't I don't have a problem with that. But my point in saying this huge ramble fest that I'm going through here is that all of this stuff that was going on in New York, people, I didn't learn this shit when I was in school. Right. They, there's just no time for it. Right. And so this, you know, this whole idea of, you know, New York City being arguably as rough or rougher than anything that was happening in, you know, those old West border towns and those frontier territories, you know, that kind of stuff is just not something that we were ever taught in school. And so at least to me, this is completely fresh, completely new and original history that I never really understood very this, much about. This period of New York City might have been more brutal than any kind of any part of the wild, the wild, wild west, you know, because yeah. oftentimes in the wild west, like you weren't even allowed to bring guns into town. There were there are very few shootings and and gunfights in the wild wild west because most of the time like you you met the sheriff at the edge of town and and they kept your guns in a in a lock in you know in the bank build, building until you left but you know sometimes you would end up the ones that were that we see in here where they're just sort of run by run by gangs yeah but but New York City had a lot of people coming from a lot you know melting pot style so a lot of people coming from other countries a lot of people coming from poor parts of our country to try to make it there so there's like a lot of poor people there a lot of people who are scraping and fighting to get what they needed so it was well and think about this you know i mean you had people that literally were fresh off the boat they come here armed to the hilt and they're expected to live side by side with people who are, in some cases, their mortal fucking about racial yeah. enemy. And you're you're block to block next to each other instead of with a country with a border between it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there are going to be people who can come here and live here and in that time and they'll probably get along just fine. For other types of people, though, I mean, you may as well put them into a blender, hit puree. And right. just crank it up well, because I well, mean, these were the days too, where in society it was still a there was still an argument as to whether racism was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, the you know people you you could get a whole large group that are just like ah the you know goddamn Irish and you know marching on their block and it not being that scanned scandalous of a operation you know what i mean or or something like that it was it 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 couldn't have been fun it couldn't have been fun well and the other thing is this is going to be the first time that a lot of american protestants had lived as you were saying side by side with um foreign immigrant catholics and 
Yeah, especially at this point in history, you know, Protestants. This point in history, Catholics weren't looked at too well in America. Yeah, no, they weren't. A lot of people. And so there's all kinds of. So you've got the ethnic tension that was going on. You've got the. Um, you've got the religious tension that was going on. In some cases, I mean, you know, I don't see a huge thing about it in here, but you know, I would assume that there was a huge amount of political. Um, corruption and whatnot that was going on that was only inflaming tensions even more basic fucking societal laws that again you and i maybe take for granted these days of fire departments shooting each other in the streets and whatnot (laughs) right um you know that stuff was going on because now you're it's coming down to livelihood i mean when you start introducing economic factors on top of the the ethnic factors on top of the religious factors on top of the possibly jingoistic factors. Yeah. I mean, when you think livelihood about it, a bloodbath. What? Livelihood and survival. Yeah. And it, it just seems to me that a bloodbath is kind of inevitable, you know? And so I, maybe the real miracle here is that more people didn't die. I mean, I don't know. So, but I guess, you know, what I'm driving at here, you know, with all of these you know, all of these different gangs, you know, you, you've got, uh, you know, you've got your, your dead rabbits, you've got your Bowery boys, the, um, the YOs, the, the crazy butch gang, the molasses gang, you know, all the plug uglies, you know, people like that, you know, beating the whole shit out of each other in the streets. And this is just like day to day reality. Uh, That is fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it's walk down the street reality scene. Yeah, you could. It's very rare that people see, at least people I know or myself, see someone get beat up outside in public. Maybe at a bar or something, you know, where alcohol is involved, at a party or something, but like a street brawl. (laughs) Yeah, like the last street, street brawls were a thing. You could have a street brawl, and then like. You know, maybe the police come in and afterwards and there's like people laying in bloody pools and like sweeping up all the guys who are laying on the streets and everybody else has gone home, gone out to dinner, you know, or whatever. Yeah, like the last time I saw something like that, um, and even this was a was a fluke, but what happened was a friend of mine invited me over to his apartment to watch, I think it was... Um, well, I know for sure it was an animated Superman movie. I just I can't remember if it was What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, or if it was that um, that Jeff Johns Brainiac story. It was one of the two, for sure. But I I, it, I don't remember which one it was. But um, you know, went over, uh, you know, headed out, drove to his place, and on the way there, I decided I want to get. I knew that they weren't going to have, you know, dinner or anything that I could eat there, and I was starving to death. So I wanted to pick up uh, some dinner. So I stopped off at this um, this New York style uh, uh, pizzeria place, and uh, you know, the people that uh, started uh, the company—they're actually from like Queens or something like that. I, it's hard to identify their accent, but it's—I don't know. I mean, it sounds like Queens to me, but I—it I, could be anything. I mean, basically, if if you guys want to know what their accent sounds like, watch Gangs of New York and listen to the way that um, – what is that? Daniel Day-Lewis talks uh-huh. in that movie, his accent, the one he uses in that movie, that very thick Bronx type of accent. That's what it sounds like to me. 
the way that you know these people at this pizzeria, the owners uh, talk. So uh, pretty good pizza. And so I wanted to you know pick up some of that. So I pay for my pizza. This is about 10 minutes later, 15 minutes, something like that. Pay for my pizza, go outside, and the next thing I know, all hell breaks loose. I see this two-on-one street fight happening in the parking lot. These three black guys are all taking turns beating the shit out of each other. It's uh, these two guys. They're ganged up on this this one other guy, and they're you know beating each other. And it looked like they're getting hurt pretty bad because, you know, I've been in enough fights in my day. I know what it sounds like when somebody breaks a knuckle on somebody else's head, and I heard that right. at least once. Or, I'm sure you've probably heard it too, but I've heard it at least once or twice. And it sounds kind of like kind of the way that it does when you, when you pop a knuckle. It sounds kind of like that, except like sharper. I don't know how else to just to say it. It's just sharper somehow, you know, like something is splintering. And that's I heard that sound like once or twice. And one of them at one point grabbed the other one by the neck, <clears throat> bent him over the back of my car, uh, the trunk of my car. It was like just pounding him in the head with his with his fist. And then, you know, what am I going to do? You know, say, hey, guys, can you just like move your fight over a, <laughs> a little bit? Because I need to back out of here, you know? Yeah, at and, that point, you really should not interfere. <laughs> yeah, so I – and of course, you know, everyone inside the restaurant, they're just – they got their noses pressed against the window um, just watching the show. And it's like, you know, you bunch of fucking kindergartners. So, of course, I have to go back inside and I tell the dude behind the counter, okay, call the police – and, you know, I'm sure everything's going to be okay, but just to be on the safe side, lock the door and you can just let the customers out through your yeah. back exit. And that'll probably be good enough. But you don't, I don't think you want these guys coming in here. So I went back outside and sure enough, heard the fucker lock the door. And it's amazing, you know, like you have to tell people this stuff. You have to do their, their thinking for them. And so I opened up my car because they'd moved kind of away from it now. So I opened up the back door put my pizza in there and I was basically waiting until I could, until they'd moved far enough away from each other or maybe they just passed out. I don't know, pick one. And then I could hop in my car and drive off. But the bottom line is I didn't want to be the one to, to call the police. I didn't want my name associated with this. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to end up in a police report unless I'm the one filing it, you know? So, um, in the, the hell of it is they just nobody was giving up. I mean, they were all like all three of them were just just pounding away at each other. And, you know, they were all bleeding from multiple places now from multiple wounds. And one of them, his fist was swollen up to like a fucking Thanksgiving turkey. And he was still punching uh, the other guy with it. And I'm like, this is fucked up, you know. And the only thing that broke up the fight when all was said and done was, you know, we heard sirens, you know, uh, on the way, uh, you just in the distance coming to the pizza place. And that seemed like it, it kind of sobered everybody up and they all took off, you know, and I looked at my car and oddly, you wouldn't think so, but there was no damage to there, no dents or anything. It looked great, you know, so I got in my car, drove off right as the police pulled into the parking lot. And, but, you know, that's not exactly day to day. Uh, goings right. on you know i mean you see stuff like that at least in the world i live in you see stuff like that every <laughs> i don't know once every 10 years or 20 years the rest of the time it's a pretty easy going type of place but it's just it it, it happens sometimes but it's certainly not like the day-to-day -day reality that it was in this 
weird, fucked up mid nineteenth century yeah. history of New York and all these. Well, other- I was gonna say it's not even like that in New York now. You know, New yeah. York's pretty mellow these days. Yeah, uh, I would think you probably have a lot of people yelling at each other, but that's you know that's, probably co- yeah, less less so than nine eleven made New York less yelly and pushy and. It's still there, but it's not as as bad. But like the seventies in New York was really there was like a real crime problem in New York, and there was muggings and you know and stuff like that going on fairly regularly. But uh, it's not been like that for the last twenty years, mm. and even more so after nine eleven. And not even because there's more like lockdownedness to it. It's just I think. It just sort of mellowed everybody, you know, it sort of took the piss out of everybody there a little bit, you know, and made everybody appreciate each other better. People seem to get along better in New York City now, it just seems like. Yeah, I've just noticed, though, that... um, I don't live there. I I only know by, like, 10-year slices when I go to visit there, you know. Well, my... um... My ex-boss, guy's a maniac. My ex-boss, um, he's one of those uh, Ivy League, East Coast, old money types. And he he spent his fair share of time, to say the very least, in New York. And what I can say is that the way he talked to people, like the way I would hear him talk to people, um, just whenever he's at a... Uh, a supermarket or, or just wherever he is, a bookstore, you know, just wherever he is when I would get him on his cell phone. <clears throat> if you talk that way to people here in Texas, you're going to get your ass kicked. It's simple as that. You know, um, it, it maybe he's just an aberration. Maybe he's just a relic from, you know, the old, no, the it, old New I York. I mean, he might, he might be more exaggerated, but I mean, it's general rule of thumb. Like, I, whenever I go to the West Coast, I get in trouble because um, we use sarcasm here on the East Coast pretty strongly, and uh, and are more. I think we're more blunt. Like when you go out to California, if you're being sarcastic with people, they're just like, "Are you being sarcastic?" I, you know, or, or they won't even take it as sarcastic. They, they say, why would you? That's so mean. And it's like, well, I'm being sarcastic. It's like, why would you be sarcastic about anything? You know? So, no. And, and, and in New York City, if you're like in certain tiers of dealing with, you know, business tiers and stuff like that, you could definitely end up being more blunt and uh, pushy. <laughs> yeah. I guess is one of the words for it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's there's different kinds of there's. I mean, there's. It's like the Eskimos have you know 500 words for snow. There's so many different kinds of whatever New York City. You, you know, you got your I'm walking here, you know, type of stuff, and then you've got your high roller, you know, business bully style. Hmm. So many flavors. <laughs> well, and that was the uh, the main thing that I that I had for the uh, the street gangs and all of that stuff. It's just, you know, I, I, forgive me if I gush a little bit about that, but it's just you have to understand this is 
kind of foreign territory for me, at least as far as history is concerned. So really, it wasn't until I saw Gangs of New York, which I only did like five or six years ago. It really took that to, I guess, show me, I guess, a, a part of American history that I just I'd never even thought about, you know, never even considered it. So uh, now, do you have a uh, like uh, anything else to say about this or do you want to move on to your next story? Oh, no, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. All right, cool. Uh, what's the next one? I could almost my my neck my next one and the the actually my next two, I could actually mush these two together and use my backup one as a third one too. Because yeah, I think I'll do that. It's, I'll I'll um, I the secret band of brothers, and the red sash gang, and they're uh, both I both noted both I'm put mushing them together because they're both gangs that never really existed. Uh, the secret band of brothers. For different reasons, the Secret Band of Brothers was more of a, a, you know, an urban New York City gang that seemed to be the the creation of, uh, and this one's on page forty four mm-hmm. of uh, John, this guy Jonathan Green sort of, what you know, basically was doing the 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 equivalent of internet conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about this whole you know all-powerful group of people that that controlled all crime and and all that and then what happened is it it captured the imagination of the writer Horace Greeley who <laughs> brought it to a you know <clears throat> level to where people started taking it seriously and you know it was started investigating people were getting arrested for for belonging to it but you know as it, as it turns out it just never seems to have ever existed and the, the other one is the red sash gang and that's an that's another one that never existed but it seems like that was brought it, whereas the secret band of brothers seemed to be more something that somebody created to get attention and money to sell some books and you know probably lecturing around and stuff probably could make a lot of money this one seem to serve more of a purpose of getting rid of uh, of settlers that the cattle ranchers didn't want. And they, they sort of invented this gang called the Red Sash Gang. And the crazy part of that is the, they just picked this cattleman guy, uh, Nate, what a great name too, Nate Champion, <laughs> as, and as, the, as the ringleader of the red sash gang. And it's one of those things where you see the story and you think how obviously not the leader of a gang would this guy be if all his neighbors were like, what do you mean? He's the leader of a gang. He's down there farming all the time, which is, was the case, you know? And I guess, uh, he wore a red bandana on his waist, like, um, um, Mexican gauchos did. Mm hmm. And so that's where the the name, which a lot of, which was I guess a fashion then. So they just associated that with, basically the people who started it just gave themselves a uh, open door to harassing and killing, hanging, killing, shooting anybody that was in their way would just become a member of the Red Sash Gang. Hmm. 
and ev- eventually that you know eventually it came to, you know it was recognized that these people were mostly after <laughs> um most of them were ended up dead or hanged a lot of hanging in this book especially when you get to the vigilante kings it's just you know Back in those old days, if somebody got in your way, you just ended. You would you would come up with an excuse and go and hang them by the neck. Um, you know what? That leads into something. I again, truth is stranger than fiction. Keep in mind, we're t- this is a long time ago, right? We're talking pro- again, probably around this time or around the nineteenth century. The there was a legal justification you could use. I'm not saying it would work, but I am saying it was a legally acceptable argument you could make when you were accused of murder. You could say to the judge, he needed killing. (laughs) And that was a legally acceptable defense. Now, again, that's not saying that you're definitely going to get away with it. There is going to be a trial. But if you can prove that this man, in fact needed killing you just might get away with it sir back in those days that might have been enough of a bar to get at least to get you a <laughs> trial because there might have been people who needed you know it, and if if it was a point where the nearest lawman was you know two days horse ride away from you and there was somebody going around killing people or you know, doing something horrible, yeah, they might need killing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? and so, or or here's something. I mean, in in life, I mean, I, God forbid any of us ever find ourselves our, our, ourselves in this type of a situation. But you know, it is possible through no fault of your own that you end up getting crosswise with a real thug and even though he hasn't actually broken the law yet even though he hasn't done anything aggressive or violent to you yet you both know that he's going to sooner rather than later and so there are instances where you know i can kind of see that argument you know prove an imminent threat or something oh i said like I, I'm thinking of like, you know, the guy who shot or the guy or uh, the guys who shot up fast, like a McDonald's that comes into a fast food place and starts shooting the place up. Mm-hmm. Instantly, that guy falls into the needs killing um, category. So if you're in that McDonald's and you pull out your gun or whatever you do it or you club him over the head or you, and you kill him at that point in time to keep him from shooting up more people in McDonald's. That's basically you're making that if it if it goes to court for some reason you would be making that same ar- argument like this guy needed to be taken out in some way and and killing him means that you're you are taking out the threat you know it's like you could knock him out but honestly think about it how many people know how to knock somebody out and then if you knock somebody out is he going to lay there for 2 seconds or is he going to lay there for 10 minutes you know, no. Somebody shooting them up in McDonald's, they're instantly in the in the needs needs killing <laughs> category. Right. Well, and so, <clears throat> I think the uh, 
that he needed killing excuse, it's basically it's supposed to be a defense to deal – you saw Back to the Future 3, right? Yes. It was to deal with the mad dog tannins of the world. You know, This right, is a guy right. – he hadn't shown Marty aggression, like real aggression. He hadn't shown that yet. But the idea would be that Marty could preemptively blow that guy into the next life and then when he faces trial say, hey, your honor, he needed killing. Uh, he, he'd started a fight with my friend, Doc Brown. He'd started a fight with me. He then threatened me in front of witnesses. And I, my life, I felt, was in danger from this known criminal. So I, I preemptively blew his fucking head off. So it's not a matter of, I didn't do it, I'm innocent. No, I, I did kill this guy. He needed it. And it's, I, there's a, I want to be careful how I say this because, you know, let's face it, we, we do have more laws and more law enforcement in, in agencies. In these days, you come down, in these days, there's less circumstances where it was him or me. Yeah. It, it, but yeah, I do think to, like somebody's coming at you with a knife, then it's you or him. But like in the old days, a th- like these days, somebody makes a threat to you. There's there's a structure and a cop within five minutes from 911 to come and say, you know, make a police report that this guy threatened you and note it. And it's on record. You still can get assaulted, but there's. A way of dealing with it. In in those days, if somebody threatened you, what what was your recourse to that threat? You either had to give in to it or not. And if you you couldn't just like go get the lawman a lot of the times and have him come down and say like this guy's threatening me, you know I feel threatened and, and intimidated, but you know well, he's trying he's trying to run me off my land. And he's threatening to kill my wife and and the lawman may actually say, "What do you want me to do about it? This is your problem. Yeah, you deal yeah, with it." Yeah, exactly. In those days, who knows what what it was? You had to solve problems on your own, which caused innumerable problems. But at the same time, sometimes problems got solved <laughs> on their own. The, the problem that comes in that is what the definition of a problem is. And who's right, you know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's, who, you know, who's defining what a problem is because all of a sudden somebody's like, it's them, you know, it's them. McCoy. I wanted his land, so he needed killing. Yeah, them, them guys with the land I want, they're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes people do need killing. Yep. So... Again, less often it's now. Stephen King movie or book that starts out with that <laughs> <laughs> sounds familiar in some way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. He's a yeah. So uh, I just want to throw that out there. You know, yes, there was a time when he needed killing. You know what? That had just enough disco potential to it that uh, you might actually get rather than hanged. You may actually go to trial for that. Ooh. So. Now, the thing about the Red Sash gang that I – before I actually read the story, what I thought it was referring to was that um, uh, the uh, cattle wrestlers um, uh, that – I guess the Earp brothers uh, fought in the, their illustrious career, the uh, Cowboys. 
And it turns out, obviously, that's not who it was, but, you know, Red Sash, that's just what I thought it was going to refer to, you know, that that they call them the first example of organized crime in America. I'm not sure if I believe that, but anyway, that, it, but until I read this, I was expecting to see something like a gunfight at the OK Corral or something like that. No, nope. not exactly the same group. So... Not really a group at all, just sort of... <laughs> yeah, it's total fiction, yeah. Just basically, it's sort of a bunch of victims who all of a sudden <laughs> had people show up at their house to kill them <laughs> when, it, when it really came down to it. But it also illustrates how, like, in those days, you know, news. You just didn't have news. <laughs> you had word of mouth. And all that, so almost like what you were perceiving what was going on was what you were hearing mouth-to-mouth from whatever people you ran into. Mm -hmm. So it was probably a lot easier to set up, you know, something to where you could go out and lynch, you know, the young couple that have their, their farm out there. Yeah, just think, I mean, that's a terrible way to go, you know, um, because if you get hung at a gallows, I mean, you're probably going to die within a second or two. But if you just get hung off a tree, I mean, it could take like 30, 40 minutes for you to really die, you know? Yeah, but that's but nobody just yelling, howling citizens who are all worked up, you know, who might not be interested in giving you a a you know, a, a nice, quick, merciful death. Yeah, and and just the, just the fact that you could be like living out in your 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 cabin, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of people there who are just like, "Come out and answer for your crimes," and then the next thing you know, they're getting ready to string you up. That's really scary. <laughs> yeah, that's not a very attractive doesn't make it a very attractive time period to live in for me no and like the thing is i mean nobody nobody deserves to die that way you know a bullet to the head is the worst punishment that anybody deserves and only a minority of people deserve that you know but this whole idea of being just hung off a tree like that fuck that you know no way uh, anything else, you know, not that. And uh, anyway. well, the fact that it when when that was a preferred me- method of execution, it was also an entertain. You know, people came out to watch it. You know, packed lunches. That's fucked up. To watch public executions and stuff, whole families would come out and have a picnic. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you hear some people, like some extremists these days, who talk about, you know, bringing back public executions. And I'm like, guys, that is fucked up. Trust me, you, you don't want to see this whole idea of like a televised. The first ex- couple public executions would be the last couple public executions because I don't think that there's enough people with the stomach for them. You know, there's enough people who would be like, yeah, you know, into that. But they can get their jollies on that on the internet. the The vast majority of the of people would be up and would not be able to handle that, and rightly so. I think I I still tend to think that humans are are basically decent, and like after and there might be you might convince like 
enough people someday to have public executions. But once we started doing it, I think people would be like, you know what? I think, I think that was a really terrible idea. Well, whether you believe in the death penalty or not, like what I find is that the people who advocate public executions, they seem to view the death penalty as some kind of a fucked up deterrent. And yeah. to the best of my knowledge, nobody's ever committed a ca- or nobody's ever committed or not committed a capital crime because of the fact that hey, this could get me executed. I mean, people still commit capital crimes. So what this tells us is clearly the threat of the death penalty doesn't stop anybody from from doing the job, at least not necessarily. So to me, you know, if one believes in the death penalty, one kind of has to view it as a penalty. You know, it's not supposed to prevent something. It's supposed to be a punishment. And so the idea of doing this in public, I mean, to me, it's enough to know that that somebody, they got sent to the electric chair, they got sent to the death chamber, the gas chamber, you know, or they got sent to, or or they got the lethal injection or or whatever, or the firing squad, fucking whatever it's going to be, you know, it's enough for me to know that it happened. I don't need to see that. You know, like Saddam Hussein, you know, I mean, apparently there is a video out there of him getting his. I saw it. And I don't know about anyone else. I don't feel like I need to see, but at least that I think was the way I heard it. That was done with like a real gallows as opposed to being done, like hung off a tree. It was done with a, it was a makeshift wooden gallows. Oh, what? oh Okay. It wasn't too mate. I mean, it was solidly. It was a wooden, but it was just a wooden guy. It was old school. It was no frills. Mm. Well, and even that. I mean, you know, he probably died, probably right away. I would imagine. Yeah, you it, know, the, it looked like his neck snapped right away. Yeah. Well, and so you know, whatever. I couldn't, and I don't even think that was done in public. I think they did that in somebody's basement or something like that. But the. The idea of even gallows, you know, like doing that in public, no thanks. But, you know, this this idea of like televising this or like firing squads, like what was that guy's name? The Gary Ro- Gilmore? No, the Romanian guy. Uh, he got blasted with the uh, the machine guns. He was like the dictator of Romania at one point, and he and his wife got blown away with uh, the machine guns. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, it was like uh, Nicholas... Something I don't remember, but he and his wife—they were basically deposed, captured, tried, and then—and I don't mean ex—they got the shit executed out of them. I mean because they—they got up—they got behind the machine guns and just blew them both to hell, you know. And you don't even really see anything, you know. You basically see them open fire, and then of course the dust kicks up, because you know you've got what is that like a 50 cal machine gun? I mean, there's not going to be, there's not. There's no way that's not going to kick up a major dust storm, right? And so they got shot to spaghetti and stuff. But I don't – even that, you know, I mean I don't I, – I saw it once by accident because Ethan Van Skyver links to weird fucked up shit like that. But I that's not the kind of thing I'd watch for entertainment purposes. And honestly, anyone who does watch that kind of stuff for entertainment purposes, you need help. Yeah. You know? yeah. Simple as that. I used to be curious. I mean, I, I I was like, there's, I was like, if there's video of Saddam Hussein, I want to, I want to see it. And then after a while, you just go, you know what? Well, now that I've seen it, I never need to see 
that again, you know, or it wasn't, it, and, and it wasn't as much as like, I want to see this guy die. It was just, I wanted to see how that would happen these days. You know, do they hang someone these days? What, what is, you know, just sheer morbid curiosity. Why, you know, do they have like some sort of like a voting machine, you know, something made out of sheet metal that, that they hang people from, or did they rig something up? So that's, that's why I watch. But after a while, it's just like, you know, you just don't need to see anybody die. No. And, you know, and, and I think if you're like, I think, um, if we did public executions, it would probably be the beginning of us, not of the end of executions in general. It might, if people saw it too explicitly, they may not be able to, you know, just hear about somebody getting executed and go like, oh, okay, good riddance to bad rubbish. I'd start, you know, bringing up images that made them feel really awful. So, I, I, I could see that being the kind of thing that would end <laughs> be the one thing that would end the death penalty in in the United States is mm. is enough people saw it but I I don't see public executions anytime yeah we get to Mad Max land maybe <laughs> but uh I mean we get to Mad Max world and then it's basically that's basically what this book is when America was in Mad mad max stage without without cars <laughs> yeah pretty much that's that's a good that's a good comparison yeah <laughs> you had you had lots of versions of the lord humongous in in this basically doing this i wonder i wonder if he ever was a you know the just walk away whether this this was an inspiration for a lot of that probably not um, well, I guess you could ask. <laughs> I'll ask him next time I see him. <laughs> well, that's pretty much what I had for it. For the whole thing? No, for uh, just for that uh, for that story. For that section? Yeah. Uh, for those two stories, I guess I should say. What was what was your next one, or was we, was yours just all uh, mushed oh. into? Uh... Yeah, mine was all. Uh, uh, put together in the end of that one section. That's, you know, why it ended up okay. going so long because I felt like there was just that much to say. So, well, all I really, I, all I really have, I have another one, but it's just a mention sort of thing. And that was the, the slickers, the spanking vigilantes. Yeah. That's a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> wow. It's a, it's a real, that's a one that's almost sounds like we're going to throw one fake story into here, but that one would be too, weird to too obvious a fake story but just weird they would catch people and put them the guy would put them over his knee and spank them because he did not agree with hanging and shooting people thought this this would be a much more reasonable manner and this is usually where you'd hear and then he was shot to death you know but his spanking method worked it seemed to actually have dissuaded people. I wonder if it worked in just a pure, you know, animal punking the person down. I don't know. I think this guy was just a fetishist who found a, a complex excuse 
to get to spank other grown people. <laughs> well, one of the things this story reminded me of, um, you know, and again, this is just one of those things I, I remember hearing about when I was a kid. I wish I had a source for it, but unfortunately I don't. And I looked, believe me, I looked, but I couldn't, I couldn't really find one. But there was some weird son of a bitch who, not even on the pretext of, you know, being a vigilante or anything like that, he just went out and would, um, for lack of a better word, he would just attack women. But he wouldn't rape them, he wouldn't kill them, he wouldn't do anything. He would just basically hold them down and, keeping their clothes on, you understand, spank the crap out of them, all right? And then once they stopped crying and everything, then he'd, he'd, he'd let them go. And then eventually, there's no way you can do something like that and not get caught sooner or later. And that's exactly right. what happened. Right. And on the one hand, I mean, I, I kind of want to say, well, at least the guy wasn't killing anybody. Now, on the other hand, you think about the weird fucked up psychosis you'd have Somebody to have starts doing that you don't know what's in them you know i mean yeah what is the sounds, end of that it sounds funny it sounds kind of funny uh you just got a spanking you don't know if that guy's gonna whip out a knife you know you don't know what his if he's as as he's obviously insane which means you can't you anything's possible you know so it could be very very i'm sure it was really frightening yeah and you know i mean it, you know any woman i would think it yeah she would you know uh, be scared shitless over that because you don't know what you know what what the end of that is so yeah that's and it's just the weirdness of it you know i mean it's one th like if he were to go out there and attack women and uh, beat them up Okay, well, then, you know, that's somehow more relatable. I don't know why. Well, it just, it, it's a more simple, it, it, it's just like a simple answer. It's like, this is someone who's really angry at women for some reason. You know, he's got anger issues, mentally, you know, whatever. But, like, just a specific thing, like, but there's been guys who've had, who've, like, wrestled women down and started sucking on their toes and stuff like that too you know or yeah and to me it's not really it's not what they do specifically whether it's spanking them or sucking their toes or shooting them in the head with a gun or or whatever it is i mean like you're saying you know there's a there's some kind of psychosis that's underlying all of this and it doesn't matter you know really what form it takes there's this person clearly has got major yeah. problems you know and uh it's just it, it, it just reading that story that's that's just that's what it reminded me of just this weird fucked up story that i hate to say it it's just fucked up enough to be true <laughs> so. yeah my only other notes really all right were Thuggery was like a definitely a family <laughs> affair back in those days. They even had like that one gang where they like inbred to create more of them. Yeah, yeah. But there's all these stories of you know basically getting all the younguns together and then you teach all the younguns how to pickpocket and all that. And another story I really loved, I should have mentioned it probably with my first story, was the Chicago Colts 
basically <laughs> started out as a baseball team that turned into an organized crime unit and eventually ended up running the town of Chicago, basically. That's a pretty... I, I'm surprised that hasn't been made into a movie. Uh, yeah, and I was going to ask about that. That kind of reminded me of... Uh, it's been a long time since I saw it, but that kind of reminded me of the second season of Boardwalk Empire and goings on with... Um, fuck, what's a guy's name? Uh, Lucky Luciano? I think it was. Does that ring any bells for you? Do you or- I've I've never seen but I I've I know I've heard of Lucky Luciano, but I don't know much about his his story. I've never seen Boardwalk Empire. But I mean I can see organized crime being involved in sports, but just sort of a team <laughs> being the thing that's that actually you know, it's like the Chicago Colts became the organized crime unit. <laughs> mm-hmm. The actual baseball team. Yeah. Yeah, and that was... uh, Again, it goes back to just the amount of laws and uh, sporting leagues and all these other things that just didn't fucking exist. And uh, on the one hand, I mean, I can understand that, you know, there is a certain amount of imposition that is just part of any law. Because if you think about it, the mere existence of a given law infringes on you in some way or in another. In some way, yeah. yeah e- even if about. it's uh, intangible and invisible ways, there are certain things that you now cannot do. And it's sometimes hard to see, I guess, I guess the, the end of it. You know, what is, you know, what is this law enabling or prohibiting that would or would not be happening? You know, and you don't always know or for that matter, have any kind of regard for that whenever you're some uh, snot-nosed, smart-mouth college idealist. You know, you're not, that's not necessarily where your head's at at that time, you know? Does that, I mean, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that is a weird one, though. Um, I don't really have too many, uh, too many other stories in the way of, um, it, like, standouts or anything i mean oddly enough the the runners-up that i did have you've actually sort of uh, tackled for yourself so that's yeah i think maybe all those stories sort of stood out because a lot of these stories are started blending into each other with minor variations but there were a lot of very similar stories and you know like the thing is there's um this isn't yeah, I mean, I I can understand what you mean when when you say that this is this was a little bit of a disappointing volume. You know, I totally understand that, but I don't think this is, you know, as big a uh, a, a letdown as I, I want to say it was the uh, the uh, the big book of scandal. Yes, you know that no. the, the just the sheer title of which, you know, you would think. There's so much possibility to that, but in every the, story should be a lurid, you know, in a scandalous, crazy, interesting story. Yeah, and not really. I mean, because if you think about, you know, shit, just think about goings on in Hollywood. I mean, fuck, and or just the entertainment industry in general. You know, I mean, just in the 20th century, you've got the likes of Charlie Chaplin, Fatty Arbuckle, Michael Jackson. Just those are the three I can think of off the top of my head. Um, 
to some degree or another, I guess you could probably throw Heidi Fleiss in there. I mean, Hollywood could have its own yeah. section in there all by itself. Sure. Then you can have a separate section for religion, and you can have a separate section, you know, for politics. Uh, yeah, there's a good one right there. Politics and volume one and volume two. <laughs> yeah, golly. And it's of all I mean, like of all the big books that we talked about, I mean, I it's hard to be sure, but I think that one may end up being the most disappointing Meh. because it's the potential speaks for itself and the delivery. Oh, my God, guys, what happened? Yeah, the, the, this one was more educational, really, which makes it sound more. It wasn't boring, but it was a lot of the same, same story. But the overlappingness of it also gives you a better appreciation of that time period. Yeah, and I was going to say that it all kind of fits together into a, a mosaic of this the weird, fucked up aspects of American history that were sort of concurrent with one another, but. There really, there's too much, and I would say maybe it's a little too lurid in some cases, to really fit inside of a school textbook. And so this is kind of a good, yeah. you know, appendix, I guess, for you know your your school textbooks. Certainly mine, because of how much it kind of overlooked anything outside of Texas after a certain point. So. Oh yeah, I think these big books would be great, like great for juniors and seniors in high school who are a little more precocious and you know they'd probably depending on what high school they're in there'd probably be some high schools who wouldn't want these books in the library but they would be a good because they're not like a super like this is the alternate history that's been hidden they're they're just straight up present it as as it was and i love seeing the old west presented in a more realistic, non-flattering, romantic way, mm-hmm. and that, that, or even the old West and the, you know, industrial revolution and stuff like that, being shown as as being as gritty as they were, you know, as as not even even the stuff that was like advanced for the time still was not pleasant it just did not seem like a pleasant time to be they thought it was because relative to other times of human development it was it was better and better but yeah Mm. did not sound like fun speaking of um we don't really have very many uh big book volumes left Left, so yeah we've got um the big book of freaks the big book of bad and the big book of the weird wild west. And so what I was going to suggest is we actually do them in reverse. We do the weird wild west next, then we okay. do the big book of bad, and then we do the uh the big book of freaks. And we need to find out if there's a way to drag Gardner into the big book of freaks. Yeah. yeah I could get him a CBR of it too. Um and that's actually I'm really psyched cuz at ACBC con I got a copy of that, a physical copy of that. So that one I'll, I'll actually be able to sit down and read, which I so much prefer to reading a CBR. Yeah, I can't. Although the majority of these ones <clears throat> I, I have on as real books. So. Yeah, and um, you know, and, and another thing, I, and I don't know if I if I told you this or not, but uh, the big book of thugs. This is actually going to be the final big book of 2015 
So we've pretty much, oh. yeah, so got those. So it's one of the last that it looks like we'll ever do, but it's certainly going to be the last of this year. So that's a little bit of trivia there. So Let's say come out with some more big books. I would love it if they did. Um, I'm not holding my breath, but it would be cool. Well, I don't even know that Paradox Press even exists anymore. But, you know, the thing is, I think there's a, you know, the the trade paperback market being what it is these days. I think there's a huge potential market for the kind of weird fucked up stories that the big books kind of specialized in. And the beauty of it is so much of the at least the American market is familiar now with you know, comics and comic book storytelling, then if, if there was to be a second line of big books, it would they would come out in a very different type of market than the original line did. And I think it'd be kind of interesting, you know, to, uh, I don't know, just like more other subjects and more uh, recent history and things like that, you know. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, update some of the old books, like do a big book of uh conspiracies volume two or something oh yeah i mean all those i mean you and i would be tearing each other's eyes yeah out. those big books were pre 9 11 there's been they, they could fill three they could just the conspiracy theories since the internet just started really happening have you know snowballed so yeah well anyway so that's pretty much that now <clears throat> Um, before we uh, before we call it a day here, uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? As always, you can find me at twotruefreaks.com. And it's funny, somebody just was like trying to find, they're like, this link is dead. And they're linking back to one of our old Libsyn links when we were on Libsyn. And I was like, oh, okay, thank God that. So that one's dead. But no, we are on our own website now, twotruefreaks.com, and um, uh, 30-some podcasts and growing, mm-hmm. and we have an Amazon link in case you ever want to shop through that, and uh, that that will give us little little infusions of, of spare change, which <laughs> is always handy for us. Yeah, I've been uh, hyping that in my... Uh my little outro text that listeners are about to hear. I've been hyping that in every single one of them because, you know, let's face it, you know, uh, I love the Amazon link so much. It, it, it basically, it doesn't bring in big money because it's just like this nickel and dime thing, but it brings in enough money to keep us, to make us just be able to, to run it, you know, so we're not paying out of our pocket to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I get to see, what it is that people buy and that's always fascinating you know from their cat food to you know just the 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 nerd stuff that comes out it's like okay now oh somebody got mad max you know and uh yeah and and somebody was uh picking up that line of specialty dildos and stuff that was kind of weird that's always that's so that always that always um ends in fun and games <laughs> and awkward moments. But yeah, I noticed they haven't uh, ordered anything of that nature since. So maybe they found another source outside of our, maybe they don't go through the link anymore. <laughs> that stuff. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's lots of little mundane thing, you know, food items and stuff in there, but it's just neat to see what books and movies and media people are interested in, and it's it's awesome to see how how much it reflects the content on in our shows too. So that's always that's always neat. So so we're like the to, the stuff we like is getting is getting supported and bought too. So I love it. That's pretty cool. So thank you very much, Chris, for uh, uh, for joining me and also for bringing in this episode. Now, as to next week, I'm going to be continuing my uh, Smallville Mighty Season 3 retrospective, part four of that retrospective, actually. So I uh, look forward to that. And uh, then after that, uh, the week after that, I'm going to be starting a very, 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 very fucking huge, epic, giant, special edition mega series. Details of which are still to be announced, but Ooh. suffice it to say, it's going to be. Uh, this may end up being the biggest pain in the ass mega series I've ever had to put together, just in terms of like logistics and organization and stuff. So, which means hell for you, but everybody, else, those are always the best shows for everybody else. So. I, I hope so. Well, I don't know if. Uh, well, well, you know what, Toa, we'll, we'll wait and see, because uh, you yeah. know, I, I, by the end of this thing, I'm not sure how many uh, people in the podcasting community are still going to like me, so uh, we'll have awesome. to wait and see about that, but either way. Scorched Earth Podcast. Yeah, there you go. Go out with style. The bridges I burn will light the way, so, <laughs> but um, anyways, that's pretty much it for me. Bye, everybody. I will see you next week. We are out. Michael Bailey here with a trailer for an exciting series of episodes of Views from the Longbox. To help me with this trailer, I have brought along none other than Darth Vader. What is thy bidding, my master? I, uh, I had to pay extra for that one. Now, normally on Views, I talk about comics, either alone or with a friend. However, with The Force Awakens hitting theaters soon, I have been all excited for Star Wars. And with the sudden massive amount of free time I have found myself with, I decided to devote all of the December episodes of Views to Star Wars in a series I am calling Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Oh, that was, was kind of rude. I mean, I, I would think a Dark Lord of the Sith would be happy that I'm devoting a month of shows to Star Wars. Don't make me destroy you. Look, Vader, we had a deal. 
I was going to tell everybody about how I'm going to talk about my favorite Star Wars movies, my favorite characters and comics and toys, in addition to talking about The Force Awakens. You were supposed to back me up on this. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Well, fine then. Can I at least talk about how I'm bringing some of the best and brightest in podcasting along with me on this endeavor? And that the show is going to be weekly through the month of December? The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. The Emperor will be listening? Yeah. Then I will have to double my efforts. Apology accepted. I did an apo- You know what? Never mind. What everybody needs to know is that Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away starts December 1st here at Views from Longbox. You can find the show on iTunes or by going to www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Finally, you stuck to the script. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Starting December 1st. Only at Views from the Long Box. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo action figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out, it's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trentus Magnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me 
and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.